Uh, let's get into the word of God for today. I, whew, I, uh, there's some word here and uh, I don't really, I, let's just get into it. I don't even know. It is what we make it. Amen. Today, where we go is where we go. Amen. I believe the Lord is leading us on something. Amen. So I think you just hold on because I don't even know where we're stopping and how we're stopping and all the stops in between the stops. So, um. Uh, I'm excited, amen. Unless we've been studying, the, uh, understanding the order of Melchizedek, a priestly order um, that predates the Levite order. Um, and it's, in, it's good that we know so, amen. amen. It is a shame how my eye finds imperfections of duty. Yeah, no, I don't want it. It was from yesterday's refreshing projects. Um, I am the daughter of a judge named Deborah. She reigned in the time of Barack. I don't know if you know that about her. <laughs> and she reigned in my life for 40 years. And she reigned in Israel for 40 years. This is, these are both true. All these concepts are true. So prophetically, if you did not know, I am the daughter of a judge, which means I was born to rule, amen, amongst men. And that's what I do. Amen. Um, so I've been trained and, and reared in understanding how to rule amongst men. But with this, as commander and chief sometimes comes an eye for detail when someone has left their duty. When you are not uh, abiding by the call that God has placed on your life, the commander has to say, hey, you missed a step. You missed a responsibility. You missed something that is very unique to your office. Because if we don't say anything, then we don't get the full potential of why God called you. Hello, hello. There is a maximum potential as to why God called you to salvation in this age. And if no one says anything, then the body of Christ does not get the full potential of why you were called to salvation in this age. You could have been born at a different point in time. Hello. But he called for you now to salvation. You could have got saved at a different point in time, but he got you saved now. Hello, somebody. Amen. And the body of Christ has desire of your full potential because you make up the entire body. And what is challenging in modern Christianity is that we sometimes make everything so individualistic that we think all of salvation is contingent upon us and the only purpose of Christ dying on the cross was for me, myself, and I. Now, this concept is so inundated in the body of Christ that it is overwhelming when the commander in chief has to talk to an army. Hello? Because one thing you can't have as a representative in the army is a me, myself, and I attitude. Y'all don't want to play fair today. 
Y'all don't want to be nice. Y'all don't want to help me preach. Hello, somebody. You cannot have a me, myself, and I attitude when you are in an army. It just does not work. It, you, you become a, a, an attack. <clears throat> you become an attack to the body. You become a weak link, a weak area, because all you know is how this situation can benefit you. And if it does not benefit you, then you throw us the deuces and you're out. That mindset, that spirit and nature of a person is not permitted in the body of Christ because there is an inheritance for those who serve God at this time. So then you want the pastors and preachers to reaffirm how you saved. You is saved. You is. And we got to keep telling you saved, even though you know all manner of dirt that you do. It is now our responsibility to encourage you in your salvation, which is uniquely different than telling you you are saved. It's one thing for me to tell you what Christ's sacrifice has done. It's another thing for me to try to convince you that you are living the life of a saved person. Hello? And most people want me to affirm to them that they are living a life of a saved person. I say, for as far as I can tell, you have accepted Christ. Now, it is true that what you're displaying would look, to say the least, questionable in the household of faith. But as your pastor, I say, let's just give it some time. Maybe God will shape it up. But this should not make you rest on your heels as if you are doing something grand. Hello, somebody. I'm waiting on God to deal with me. I'm waiting on God. You waiting on God? He dealt with you 2,000 years ago upon a tree. If that dealing with you was not sufficient, must he also be crucified again? So I have the, an eye for detail. For things that you feel may not really matter whatsoever to the cause and the call of Christ. But it is these little things that begin to reflect. If you are observant, they begin to reflect bigger problems that are in the road for you. That's what people don't recognize about my job is that I could point out something that is small. While it is still small, come on somebody, and if you by faith believe that I'm showing you something at a smaller scale as a warning for you to not fall victim to something at a larger scale, many people end up falling into sin because they did not heed the voice of God when he was giving you a warning about something very small. And those that are saved from falling into all manners of sin are those who heed a warning and they take it like it's something real big happened. Oh, pastor got me for not filling up the water. Oh, Lord, I need to do something about that. Mama G was commenting the testimony on her Wednesday night testimony was how these plants came back up. And she was like, see, I thought we needed to throw them out. But look how God done raised them back up ever so much. You know, they, they trying to perk back up. Hello, somebody. So on Saturday, I gave her the assignment. Yes, Mama Jean, I'm preaching on you because everybody be thinking that the old people don't need no correction. Y'all be needing just as much correction, if not more so than the rest, because all your habits been in there for far too long. She was out. We gave her the assignment of clipping the, clipping the trees outside. And when it's time to go, we all packing up. And Mama Jean says, Pastor, do you think these trees might be good for now? But by the time we get to Easter, we're going to have to get some new trees and throw these out. And I said, no, Mama Jean. 
you of all people just learned a small lesson how what you thought need to be thrown away here hello some just right here hello somebody at the altar of god now you don't even apply you are the main one that he wanted intended to show that if you would yet believe that god can lift this bad boy and it didn't mean it for nobody else it was for you Oh, if we could just take the small lessons. See, now you embarrassed and humiliated in front. Humbled is what? A forced humiliation is to be humbled by not choosing it. It's called humiliation. When you were supposed to be humbled and you didn't, and then you become humbled, it's called humiliation. Now you are humiliated in front of the pastor who looks at you befuddled because you know how I give them looks. What is wrong with you? And in my mind, all I can calculate is how you had the same lesson about this plant. And here was a time that you could manifest this in yourself. What God was trying to show you about withering plants and how things get old and how you might as well just toss them out for something new. Come on. He's trying to show you if you would just believe I can perk up something that looks like it's beyond its season. targeting on the part of your brain that ke still keeps thinking that somehow you too old for something sometimes somehow your season is past i'm targeting that in you because every time i give you a new assignment you start complaining about how you too old and how the generation's too far from you and so now your leaves is hanging low he said i'm trying to show that to you you better get up in this house come on put that stuff down and get up for your own sake there you go Amen. It ain't going to be easy. It might look a little funny for a minute, but it is going to be all right. It's going to be all right. The issue is that people don't take advantage of the small lessons. God tries to show you before it grows into something too big for you to handle. And so you complain at me for noticing the small things when I'm complaining at you because you don't even know how God's systems work. If you understood that it's his mercy and grace that tries to deal with you when it's small so that he could put that seed of correction in you. And now that seed of correction grows. Come on, somebody. That seed of truth can grow. But oh, no, you despise that small seed. I don't know why Pastor just came in hot today. I don't even know what that was about. She just, oh, she just must be in her mood. You understand? Oh, it must be something. And now the whole time, not even recognizing the reason I said something had less to do with me and more to do do with you you don't even know how the system of God's flows and I'd be like you was he was not mature <laughs> there's a method to God's madness and everything and you consistently and persistently think that is of no consequence to you Every day we got to prove our love. <laughs> I used Taylor as an example. <laughs> One day Taylor, her mother was sharing, me, sharing with me some things that Taylor did that was outside of her norm. Now, I have been Taylor's pastor since she was two, one or two or so. I think her mama came back around in my time. Taylor was about two. All right, maybe one and a half. Okay. By the time she came back with a lash, 
<laughs> when the thing gets away from her, but nevertheless. So I've known Taylor for all of, practically all of her life. And so when her mother tells me some action she's done, I said, Taylor, that don't even seem like you. Now I know teens start coming into teenhood and they start acting weird. But however they act weird, it's still a part of their personality. It's like you're, you've always had this, and now hormones have elevated it. Does that make sense? To new heights. But it was not far from you. So when I heard of something Taylor had done that was far from her, very far, I said, Taylor, what's wrong? She said, nothing. I said, something had to have happened. She said, no, Pastor. I said, something did have to have happened. Uh-uh, Pastor. I said, Taylor, something had to have happened. She said, no, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. And I said, well, just give us some time. Because I know. Now, this is an adamant. You think you're fine. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You think you behaving normal. Hello, somebody. That you, I don't even, some things I do, is I just do it because this is who I am. And it takes somebody that knows you and say, baby, that ain't never been a part of who you are. That ain't never been, and somebody got to say it and say, now what happened? A couple hours went by, I started talking to a minister, and from what I knew, something had happened at. That's why it pays to have somebody anointed in your life. Because you think that I'm just randomly talking. Hello, somebody. And some of y'all be thinking, oh, pastor, just randomly talking. You don't recognize that I am pulling up something. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm pulling up something on the inside of you that you don't even recognize why I'm targeting it. You think I'm just talking about my grief? You think I'm just talking about my job? You think I'm, I'm pulling on something that I see on the inside of you? Because that's how God works. And so eventually, tell us that, hold on, Pastor, when you said that, that, that reminded, you know, it, something did. Let me tell you this story about how this thing happened. By the time we got to the end, if she poured out her heart of what did happen, and it was a healing moment for her, her mother, and the entire family, then Taylor going to say, Pastor, you good at this. <laughs> I'm like, out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> that I have to contend with what you don't even recognize about yourself. And how much easier it would be, because she by faith began to listen as if what I'm saying could be targeting her. And she said, you know, when you said that, that made me think of. By faith, she walked right to that thing. And by faith, God wanted to actually do that in her heart. And by faith, God actually wanted to use that and mend the relationship and repair the breach. By faith, everything worked out for the good because she loved God. And I know she's called according to his purpose. But I passed a bunch of adults that don't know how God works. That they look at their human life with no direction, no anointing, no purpose, and then they project how I do things. But I'm a person of purpose. I'm a person of call. Hello, somebody. You don't know what your call is. You can barely be consistent. We are not the same type of person yet. But you project that everything I'm doing is similar to how you would do it. But we don't even have the same life. I am fully dedicated, fully committed, been serving God for decades upon decades. You just now getting started at church. 
but you will look at my actions if they're somehow they're, they're just like yours. That don't even make no sense, does it? Don't you know I had to be seasoned before I could even pass to somebody like you? No, look at yourself. Look at yourself. What type of person do you think God would have to raise up in order for them to actually pass? What type of person do you think God would have to deal with in order to actually lead you? What kind of experiences do you think they would have to have? What kind of voice of God do you think they would need to hear firmly? In order to lead somebody like you. And don't tell me you don't need to be led. And people that can actually confirm this, they'd be like, you know what? This is the woman of God for these, these days. One of the issues I had with Sister Gabrielle and her woman of God shirt is the phrase woman of God. There's only one in this house. People can call you a woman of God, generally speaking. People that don't know you when they come here, man of God, woman of God. And sometimes they may be telling you that to aspire you, to, to lead, to heed the call. Hello, man of God, I see a call on your life. Hmm. Hmm. But you're running around with a t-shirt that say woman of God. Give me that. <laughs> no ways how. Uh-uh. You ain't bled enough for this. You ain't lived enough for this. You ain't served enough for this. You ain't dedicated enough for this. You ain't obeyed enough for this. Mm-mm. So before anybody get confused that you are somehow sent by God to lead them and show them the way, give me the shirt. Because that's what that phrase means. That people can look at you and go, show me the way. I'm lost. Yes. Oh, here. Oh, here's a woman of God. Here's a man of God. Show me the way. Oh. And they could follow you to that way. Hello, somebody. That, that's what it means. That's what the ephod would mean. That's what the priestly garment would mean. Anything you wear that represents Christ, it means that I can follow you to the point of finding him. And if I don't think your life line up to the point where people should be on your heels, leading you to and turn into galia, turn into paraphernalia, turn into t-shirt, give me the cross and the crucifix, give me that tab, give me that collar, give me the black and white, give me everything that exalts you because you have not been exalted by God. Hello? I expect that from people that out there that don't know order and hierarchy and sacrifice to the call. God is dope kind of folk, you know. You know, that's normal. But when you've been raised here, this is a slap in the face. And it says you didn't think about it, it's even worse. Now I have to tell you. Hello? If it didn't cross your mind, that's even worse. That somehow the title woman of God or man of God could be belittled to a t-shirt. And it ain't got to have no real substance behind it. Hello? Should have picked out that shirt like you pick out. A I mean, I'd be curious. I, I used to fear putting Bible scriptures on the back of my car because I know I'm going to drive reckless. I even put in a gospel sticker on my car because I'm afraid I might shoot somebody the bird. 
I didn't want to demean the body of Christ in such a manner. Hello, somebody. Hello, like, I, you don't, 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 don't look up here. Because <laughs> I feel like when I got that renewed sticker, or I got that Jesus plate, or I got that thing, hey, that people are going to be, oh, you call yourself a Christian. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have. It doesn't mean you're not. It just means that you recognize that when you start wearing and proclaiming that you belong to God, whether you know it or not, then people are going to judge you accordingly. Hello, somebody. Amen. I'm pre- I don't even know where I'm at, but I'm preaching anyway. By the time Paul gets to Hebrews and he's trying to tell the Sadducees and Pharisees how they need to come to the priestly order of Melchizedek because the Aaron priesthood is fading. Okay. When people used to serve God through the law, he was like, that law has been done away with. It's been fulfilled, not done away, but fulfilled in Christ. There's a new covenant, a new law and a new Testament. And you need to come to Jesus. And then 18, 15 years later, the whole temple is destroyed. And now they ain't been sacrificing sheep and goats since. And Paul tried to tell him, hey, you might want to come from over there. It's because it's something about choosing God because you want him versus choosing God because you ain't got no other alternative. Hello? Crossing the Red Sea was choosing God because you don't have any alternative. Pharaoh is on your heels. You can't go back, you're dead. If you don't trust God, you're going to die. So either way, you might as well just trust God. That's the Red Sea. But we are Joshua's generation, hello, somebody, who crossed the Jordan by choice. And everybody that did not choose to cross the Jordan died in the wilderness. God loves those hearts that say, I will choose God versus being forced. Hello? And what he's raising up now is a generation of those that are choosing God, choosing holiness choosing sacrifice choosing these things rather than having to be backed against the wall in order to pick God I don't know if you recognize that season is coming to an end hello somebody it is fading now because every time you're not choosing him he lets you fall right into more of your sin well you be like I don't even know if I am saved see you was never supposed to be over there you weren't supposed to be dying in that wilderness because you didn't choose him. And he, has, he has some real interesting concepts about choosing him. So by the time Paul comes to Hebrews, he's trying to tell the, the priests of his day, the high priest, y'all need to choose Christ because he's the real Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He's going to come back and he's going to rule. He ain't rule right now. He just died on the cross. But he's going to come back for us and he's going to rule for real as the Messiah you always wanted. And you missed him and you killed him. But he's asking you to come to repentance. You would even think. The fact that God, through the man of God, is even trying to reach us. Because what you're telling us is that we crucified God. And now you're coming and ask us to repent because he still wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Humility would say, how could I not? I mean, you're willing to accept me when I completely rejected you? 
Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. I completely rejected everything that you were trying to do, everything you was trying to show me, how you were trying to walk me to it. I just rejected it and pushed it, some aggressively, some passive aggressively. I just kept saying no, 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 no. Sometimes I said it no loudly. Sometimes I said no quietly. But then, then all of a sudden, you're going to come back to me after I rejected you and say, I can forgive you. Come on in. God of all gods is doing that? All God of all gods. God of creation is saying, I know, you didn't handle none of that right. Top to bottom, you was all wrong. But if you could heed my voice today, come. Now, faith, come. If you could heed me now, if you could hear the voice of God today, then he says, choose. Choose. Don't, don't try to choose when you leave today. He says, choose today. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today because he knows what's out there. And the only reason you're able to choose now is because of an anointing. Y'all don't want to play fair. When you talk to me, you feel like you can choose. When you're sitting in the church, you feel like you can choose. He said, that's why it's there to make your choice easy because I desire to use you to your fullest. So I sent my anointing to make your decision easy. But you only take pride when you actually decided apart from the anointing. It's your silly self. The only thing that's going to happen to you is desperation. He bought you, got you against the wall. Now you feel like you really chose. Because that, that's all you know is getting back against the wall and then having to come to God. And, and then getting back to get, how did I get this far? Oh, let me go back to God. And Oh, why is my money so terrible? Let me go to God. And oh, why am I so sick? Let me go to God. And oh, why is this happening to me? Let me go to God. Because that's all you've been learning. He's been trying to train you from that point. Trying to get you from there. Well, you ain't got to be backed against the wall. You just choose him because he's proven himself faithful. You know, when my mother passed, I said, one thing I know is as bad as this hurts, God was still merciful and good in how he chose it. I can't see it. I don't understand it. But all my experience with God has told, taught me this. This is the best time. And I said that and saying that at a point where I could not see how it was the best time. But my experiences with God, when I look back over my life, I can say he's always been the God that has always done things the best. He's always been the God that's always done things the best. He's always been the God that's always done things the best. He's always been a God that's always done things the best. He's always been a God that has always done things the best. And even though I can't see it, it is still true. So now I choose him. I choose to hurt because of all the days that he could have picked, this is a day that was the best. Hello, somebody. So at the end of Deborah's reign for 40 years, <laughs> the people of God chose God. By faith, they overcame in Hebrews 11. Verses 30 through 31 is where we left off last week. By faith, they overcame. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received 
the spies with peace. <clears throat> so by faith, we looked at last week how the walls of Jericho came down because Joshua led God's army across the Jordan. And the angel of the Lord, Christ himself in commander form. All right. The angel of the Lord, it was a Christophany, is when Jesus appeared without being born. And there are many examples of Christ appearing on earth, but not born through the Virgin Mary. Just showed up as a full-fledged human. All right? Rightfully so, because the Bible says he was slain from the foundations of the earth, so he's always had a bodily form. As a matter of fact, one of the prophets, Zechariah, on the day of Christ's birth, he wasn't, going, <clears throat> he wasn't going to die until the day he saw the Messiah face to face, which means he had in his mind's eye prophetically the physical form of the face of Christ. Hello, somebody. So Christ would appear on earth without being born throughout the ages. And one of the times he appeared, as we discussed last week, was the, the story of Joshua. When, the, when God had now raised, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he raised up an army. And those who did not want to cross over to fight the Philistines that were with Moses died in the wilderness. And the only two that kept going was Joshua and Caleb, and everybody else was newborn babies. And he let them grow and trained them to be mighty men of war. And for 40 years, as those who refused God died off, hello, somebody, God was also raising an army at the same time. Y'all don't want to play fair today. We only see, of it, see it as two different things. There was those who died in the wilderness, and then there was those who was raised in the military. What we don't recognize is both was happening simultaneously. Some people were dying in the wilderness for not choosing God, while others were being built on how to be in the army of the Lord. You get to decide, are you going to be part of the dying? Hello, somebody. Are you going to be part of the dying? Hello, somebody. You get to decide, are you going to, Mama G, look up. Are you going to be a part of the dying? Or are you going to be part of the army of the Lord? You get to pick it. Because he's doing both. He's judging those that didn't pick him. And he's raising those that choose him. And it's happening in this house. He's judging those that don't pick his house, that don't pick his kingdom, while he's raising up a mighty... We got people that have picked, not picked God, did not pick church, picked self, picked self-indulgence, and the same time they're picking self, God has been week after week after week building an army week after week after week, taking new covenants week after week after week, new vows and new commitments week after week after week remember I come I'm the child of a judge named Deborah or Deborah hello somebody who reigned in the time of Barack for 40 years everything about my life is prophetic even though I wish it wasn't <laughs> I never I didn't want to be a prophet because they got hard lives. So I said, I don't want to be a prophet because a prophet got a hard life. And the whole time I said, I don't want it. It got to the point where my therapist said, you know how sometimes God uses the prophets? And he's not, he's Methodist. <laughs> and he said, I just think that 
something unique about your situation. <laughs> and I was like, don't say it. <laughs> See, I came to you because you wasn't charismatic. <laughs> don't give me that spiritual stuff. <laughs> he was like, mm, it's real, real prophet-like. I don't want to touch that, touch that. But, you know, nevertheless, <laughs> amen? So in our house, we're dealing with the exact same thing. People that choose self from the top of this year, that choose self over the kingdom of God, choose self over the church of God, choose self over God himself. They choose what benefits themselves. And the pastor has to highlight, hey, that only benefits you. And I don't know if you know this about salvation, but you were saved by Christ that you might live for him and everything that pertains to him more than you live for yourself. That was the whole point. The only thing you can tell me as to why you want this is because you just want it. It's not a sufficient answer for a believer. Hello? And some were at least wise enough to be like, well, I don't understand why pastor made this declaration, but I do know one thing. I ain't leaving my church because I disagree. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Some people said, well, I'm, it'll all be told to me by and by, but it's going to be told to me while I'm still in place. It's going to be told to me while I'm still in position. It's going to be told to me while I'm still in the household of faith. Others say, you're going to tell me outside the house. That was your journey. I'm not going to make that right because it wasn't. But God spared you because of your heart. Hello, somebody. And others say, he's going to deal with me on the podcast. <laughs> And I ain't telling you that your decision is right, but I'm telling you that maybe God is having mercy because of your heart. Hello, somebody. You don't have to be perfectly right in order for God to bless. That's why it's mercy. And those that received mercy wasn't because they were perfectly right. There are people that did exactly the way God intended when they came face to face with their own choices. They submitted and they humbled themselves to God through the local pastor. There are others that did not, and God still gave them mercy. Both parties received mercy because it wasn't as if the one who obeyed really had that type of thing on their heart by themselves. God had to give them that in the first place, had to take them through some stuff. Maybe it's a cult-like church, maybe something like that. So they'd be like, you know what? What I did learn is you got to submit to God in all things. But even that spirit God put in you. So both can say that I am a recipient of the mercy of God. It was God's mercy that got me to the point to obey. And it was God's mercy that kept me when I was disobeying. But both are the recipients of mercy. So that nobody should brag. Hello, somebody. I didn't do what you did, but it ain't like you came up with your ability not to do it on your own. That came from God. Hello, somebody. So nobody could boast like they have achieved something. Ain't nobody achieved nothing. God gave it. Now, why would God give mercy to both? Because God is for himself. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. God fights for himself. Are you for us or for our adversaries? He says, no. I fight for the Lord. You ever want to know why God punishes you and gives mercy to somebody else or 
why he graces you and doesn't give grace to somebody else and why you lived and somebody else died and why you were healed and somebody else still suffers and, and why you lost and somebody else gained and why somebody else was promoted and you were demoted. Oh, come on, somebody. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It's because God fights for himself. That's what Joshua's generation doesn't want to learn. If you're not careful, this need to make God be exclusive to your will turns into self-righteousness. Now you got to dot certain T's and cross certain I's and, and do certain things on principle because you wreck, you're trying to find out where do I need to be that I might attain the most favor with God. Now you're just chasing his hand and not his heart. Because if you really had his heart, then I know I'm right there in the middle. I'm the apple of your eye. Wherever you put me is where you mean for me to be. In the valley of the shadow of death, you're there. On the mountaintop, you're there. What I have and what I have not, you're there. Because I'm still the apple of your eye. And saints don't want to see that nowadays. They want to judge whether God is with them based off of where he places them. So now you've always been after his heart, after his hand and not his heart. Because when you know by faith that you belong to God and some manner of evil has befallen you, you still remain by faith. Hello, somebody. You don't start questioning, well, maybe this ain't the church. Well, maybe this ain't... The by faith, you just wait for it. By faith, you just trust him. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to prove it to you in scripture. So by faith, they marched around Jericho's walls once for seven days. And on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And on the seventh day, they, uh, they blew the trumpet in the, on the, after the seventh round about the walls of Jericho. They blew the trumpet and the walls fell. And God's people straightway took took the land, the, the city of Jericho. Now, why is Jericho important? You're going to see in the next couple of examples that Paul gives in the book of Hebrews, he deals with Jericho and a place called Gilgal. This city of Jericho and this township of Gilgal is the very first conquering point after Jordan. Jericho was the first battle crossing the Jordan. Hello, somebody. We crossed over and we're taking Jericho. And then subsequently, the entire area of Gilgal was always under question. Because this is the first time that God has raised an army. When they were in Egypt, they weren't an army. When they came out of Egypt, they weren't an army. But while they were in the wilderness, God grew an army. And so now God's people slash army have crossed over. Hello? And now they have to move, not just as God's people, wandering around with babies and children. Now they're moving as God's army, with baby and children, but as God's army, where the women are supplying the things that the men need for war. Hello, somebody. And the babies are doing what they're supposed to do for war. And everybody has a role to play, whether you're on the front lines or the back lines. Everybody is moving as a people of war. Right? So Jericho represents that first battle 
where the angel of the Lord Christ himself shows up to Joshua. Sword drawn. And Joshua's like, hold on, you for us or against us? You remember this from last week? And Jesus answers, or the angel of the Lord answers, no. He's like, what do you mean, no? I am not for you or against you. I am not for you or for your enemy. I am for the Lord. And this is what he's saying, who are you for? Are you for yourself? Or are you for the Lord? The question is not who is God for. The question is, who are you for? Y'all don't want to be nice to me today. You keep trying to ask God, is this what you want for me? God, do you want me to do this? God, will this work for me? Is this a spouse for me? Is this the boyfriend for me? Is this the girlfriend for me? Is this a job for me? Is this a position for me? Is this the ministry for me? Is this the town for me? Is this the city for me? You keep asking, is it for you? And I want to know, are you for me? In essence, I'll give you the conclusion up front in case you don't make it and you fall asleep. In essence, conclusion top in for all my sleepy heads. He wants to know, because if you are for me, then you know where I placed you is where I intended for you to be. <laughs> if you are for me, then we wouldn't be having this question. It wouldn't, hello, somebody. If you're for me, then you recognize I'm sovereign over all. I have providence over everything. I rule heaven and earth. So where I place you either as a slave, where I place you either single, where I place you with children, where I place you married, where I place you is where I intended as creator of all for you to be. So the only reason we're having this question is because you haven't decided, are you for me or are you for yourself? And you can't go on no battlefield with God unless you are determined to fight for him and not for yourself. We get to the end of Hebrews, I got no choice. Some people still can't decide if they're going to fight for God or fight for themselves. Are you going to fight for him or fight for you? Well, how do you know that you're, not, that you're fighting for yourself and not God? Well, how much do you complain when it ain't going your way? How much do you change when it starts looking like it's going downhill? Come on. How much do you question when it seems like you're suffering too long and too far? How much do you start rearranging? How much do you start becoming introverted? How much do you start turning around? How much do you leave, start hanging low? How much do you start dropping your head? How much are you reflecting in your countenance that you are fighting more for yourself than you are for God? I can see it in how you, you hang your head. I can see it in how you keep wanting to meet with me about stuff that we already decided. I can see in how you keep, you keep, oh, woe is me. Oh, oh, oh. Every time we give you a new assignment, a new goal, a new position. Look, not title, position. Be here at this time, on this day. Be there. Then your leaves start wilting. I don't know if I could do that because the way my situation is, the way my life is set up, the way I'm going through. You're already telling me 
without telling me hello somebody you're telling me without telling me that you fight more for yourself than you do for the kingdom of God because as a commander under a commander if I say let's be here on this day I ain't gotta make it a rule I ain't gotta make it a law you're gonna find yourself being here on this day even if you gotta be since the highest with a walker going to do some putt putt I will be here on this day because that's the day that the Lord told my commander where I needed to be Oh, I, I, I get it. Death of my mom made me want to fight for me. But if I fought for what I wanted, then y'all would not be here. Can you see that? If I fought humanly for what every human feels is their right, a right to peace without stress, to grieve without pain and persecution and people saying dumb stuff and doing dumb stuff and acting stupid. That if I fought for what I needed, then you wouldn't be here. But I didn't fight for me. I fight to stay in the will of God. I fight to stay in the will of God. My prayers are not, let me be a pastor. My prayers are God, only you know. Where do you want me to be today? All right, 11 o'clock. I'm supposed to be at church. You ain't said nothing otherwise. So I guess this is where you want me to be. The same thing I command you to do as allegiance to this church under the household of faith is the same thing I have to do. Apparently, you didn't close church on Sunday. There was no snowstorm on that day. I was hoping for a snowstorm. So you want me to be there preaching at 11 a.m. And the same is true for you. You're giving assignment. You're given position. But you have not chose to fight for the Lord as much as you chose to fight for self. Because when you fight for the Lord, self is sacrificed. Self is on the altar. What you want, what you feel is offered up. But shouldn't it be? When you in the army of the Lord, hello somebody. So they went over, and the reason they were able to go over to Jericho is because prior to that, uh, Joshua had sent spies into Jericho, and the spies stayed at a harlot's house named Rahab, which is what we see in Hebrews. Rahab is listed as one of those who had great faith, and she was a Gentile, right? And so the spies went to go spy out the land of Jericho, and they went into the house of Rahab, a harlot. She was a prostitute. And they said, I, well, we, well, they ain't going to suspect that we're going to go. is the house of a prostitute. <laughs> Amen. But they caught wind that they were there. Rahab recognized that my king is so flustered by the idea that y'all have crossed over. He knows his time is raining, of raining is coming to an end. Y'all don't want to play fair today. He knows that he cannot keep us here any longer, and God has a purpose because the people of God have crossed over. And so she chooses upon hearing that the people of God are coming to align herself with them over her original king. By faith. 
Look, she wasn't, she didn't, she wasn't even raised in their household. She didn't even know Moses. She didn't even meet Joshua herself. She never saw Moses face to face. She never saw the mountain thunder. She never saw the cloud of day, the pillar of fire by night. But when she heard the gospel that the people of God were crossing over, she decided to align herself with the people of God versus suffer under the ruling king that was going to lose. That's how it should be. The people of God crossing over the Jordan by such a miraculous hand that God stops soulish issues should make other non-believers go. Satan rule has got to come to an end because y'all is doing stuff that ain't nobody ever been able to do before. Normally, if I ain't got no money, I would just lie. Normally, if I ain't got no money, I would just steal. Normally, if I ain't got no money, I would beat somebody upside their head. Normally, if I ain't got no money, I would call up Mr. Man. Normally, if people don't even do this kind of stuff no more. Y'all over here doing stuff that we typically are not able to do. To resist and stop soulish problems from drowning and overtaking us. If you ain't got no money, then you lie. Then you cheat. If you don't like it, then you finesse the situation. You rob Peter, you pay Paul. That's how we live. And now the people of God crossing over recognize they they don't live like that. They just walk right over that water. Just, that water just stopped and they just cross right on. Gentiles should go. The hand, the back of Satan has been broken. The back of Satan has been broken. You being able to live holy under the same type of pressure that everybody else is dealing with. You being able to have temperance under the same type of pressure. You being able to have discipline under the same type of pressure. You being able to serve under the same type of grief, the same type of depression, the same type of famine, the same type of loneliness, the same type of lust. You being able to hold your ground is proven to a Gentile nation that the people of God have crossed over. Why won't you step into your call? You're proving to them you are the testament of Christ, the witness, the proof that the people of God have crossed over, that the presence of God dwells in man. Because generation after generation, they were not able to do that. The next couple of stories that Paul brings up in the book of Hebrews reveals how generation after generation, when God would stay the hand of the enemy, then after that, they will fall back, Israel will fall back into sin. Then God will come and rescue them, and then after a while, Israel will fall back into sin. Then God will rescue them again, and after that, Israel will fall back into sin. And this keeps happening over and over and over for thousands upon thousands of years. And then a man named Jesus is born, the one true Messiah. He dies upon a cross, and then after that, generations of the church remain, where they start saying, no matter what, even unto death, I will serve the Lord. Even in famine, I will serve the Lord. Even under persecution, I will serve the Lord. Married, I will serve the Lord. Single, I will serve the Lord. With lust, I will serve the Lord. With loneliness, I will serve the Lord. With depression, I will serve the Lord. With pain, I will serve the Lord. There's now a stop. It ain't you. It's the church. That remains generation after generation, generation after generation. They cannot say about the church 
that they turned away from God. They would say to the children of Israel, and they turned from the Lord. And they would say to the children of Israel, and they turned their backs from the Lord. And they would say to the children of Israel, and they turned of the Lord. But they can't say that about the church. So when I have to make hard decisions that draw a line of demarcation between a believer and a non-believer, it's because they can't say that about the church. That the church continued to serve the Lord no matter what it cost them. But I'm a girl and I love girls, but I would choose to serve the Lord no matter what it costs me. But I'm a boy and I want to marry boys, but I will serve the Lord no matter what it costs me. But I'm broke, but I will serve the Lord no matter what it costs me. But I'm this, but I will serve the Lord no matter what it costs me. That's the church. And the apostles were given keys to define what would be in the church. But when you start changing the definition of church, then the church too has turned their back against God to seek after themselves. It cannot be stated as such. So the commander has to say, no, this cannot be named among us. If you want to keep living like that, you got to go from among us. This can't be named among us because then it will appear as if the church has turned their back against God. And the thing, the truth of the matter is, it wouldn't have been the whole body. It would have been this local church. Because God is always going to have a remnant from generation to generation. It just ain't going to be you. It ain't going to be you. You think he's going to let his church die? I don't care how many gay and lesbian churches are built up. If God said no, it's a no. But you can't help you who you love? Probably not. But most of it just habit and lust formed anyway. You can love something else greater than self. In my opinion, you're so good at loving under great persecution that you should love God under great loss of self. Those of our brothers and sisters in the gay and lesbian community have the propensity to love greater than any other believer under the face of the sun. Because they will love someone under persecution. They will love someone under pressure. They will love someone selflessly. All you got to do is turn that to God. We're We're missing a grand harvest of people that have the type of heart that God can anoint. Because they know how to love unconditionally. Hello, somebody. But we end up rejecting them and pushing them out rather than showing them, I know you love, but you've got to take that and you've got to obey God. That's why in this house we don't put no difference between the homosexual and the heterosexual. When it's sin, it's sin. Everybody got to put their pants on and keep their clothes on until you're married. Hello, somebody. You can't go out here fornicating gay, and they can't go out here fornicating heterosexual. And if ain't nobody fornicating, I bet you I ain't going to have no problems with the gay and lesbian community. Because what's lust going to tell you? What's flesh going to tell you? As a believer, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, Hello, somebody. And you say, but I will surrender this under God and I'm not going to fornicate. Then you're going to start looking for ways to get your flesh appeased that God will approve of. Because attraction, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's in your eye, baby. (laughs) 
But because no one says draw the line here, it doesn't challenge you to submit even that under God. Because you submit it, now my singles is, is holy until. Hello, somebody. Holy until. Now, this is hard for my Just like the heterosexual and the homosexual, it's hard. Because when they, the heterosexual got to be holy. But pastor, can I date? No. Well, all we want to do is go get coffee. That's what you said last time. Coffee turned to something else. The answer is no. Next. You know. <laughs> well, all we want to do is, no, nah, you said you was going to Netflix and chill, but it wasn't just Netflix and chilling, was it? Uh-huh. Let, how about we draw the line right here? So now all of a sudden, even the heterosexual single is trying to find a relationship that is pleasing unto the Lord at a time in their lives where they can be pleasing unto the Lord. And now they're looking and waiting for an opportunity that God has set up himself. And the same issue with the homosexual. Now you're looking and waiting for an opportunity that God has set up himself. I'm going to prove it to you in scripture. Huh? The fact that you were willing to disobey God to get it only reflects the passion you have for the thing. How far you will go for a matter of the heart. What the father wants to know is will you turn that to me? Will you turn that to me? Now that we can see how far you will go for love. Now we can see how far you will go for your homeboy. Now you can see how far you will go for gang gang. Now we see how far you will go for your, your tribe. How far you go for your crew. Now we see how far you will go. Will you turn that to me? Now that you, we know it's, you have the propensity. Or you have the propensity to fight in a, as a gang member. Will, will you fight for the kingdom of God? You have the propensity to be extreme. Will you be extreme in the things of God? Now that you know how far you will go in some of these things, will you do that for me? Amen? So, that's how, so now that we know that this is in you, now the Lord wants to know, will you use that for him? Or will you use your best fighting maneuver for yourself? It's your best trait that Satan is seeking to pervert. It's your best trait that he wants for himself. And the only thing that sin revealed is one of your best traits, one of your best maneuvers that say that you're the one that could do this. You know, you're the one that could do that. <laughs> He's like, now, can you do that for me? He's trying to pervert your best trait and get it on his side to fight for him. But God don't believe you'll really surrender to him. Unless you're prepared to die to it. God does not believe that you really surrender that to him unless you're prepared to die to it. If not, then you'll constantly use it for yourself. Do you understand? Uh-huh. When he starts getting weak and it feels like somebody else is fighting against you, you'll pull out your best armor, your best weapon. Hello, somebody. When you were supposed to keep that sword in its sheath. One of your best traits now you're using against your own military. Launching out, hitting targets before we said, because you got scared. Because you felt insecure. Insecure, not secured. Because you felt not secure, you pulled out your best weapon. Because you were afraid to be single. Because you were afraid to be alone. Because you were afraid that you wouldn't have enough money. Because you were afraid that it wouldn't work out. Now you pull out your best weapon against the army of God. It's not even that you fought, even though sometimes you do, actual army members. You actually moved out of step with us and now you are against us. Yeah. 
If the commander says, on my mark, get set, go. And I go, on my mark, get set. And before I can say go, you go. We have no choice but to protect you. Because we understand loyalty. So now you have fought against our plan, us collectively, so that we have to move out of step in order to save you. That's why rebellion is as witchcraft. Because you're forcing the leader to move at a step and pace that God has not ordained. So now I got to come and address something. Before I had, a ch- I, didn't, I wasn't planning on addressing that. It's your rebellion. So now people are getting hit with something before they were mature enough to take the hit. Your rebellion did that. Because now we all have to rush in and protect you because you went, but I didn't even give the cue. So now I'm giving my whole church a lesson on something that primarily started with you. And now they're getting beat the snot up. And God's got to work that for their good at a time it was a little bit too soon for them. to. They hadn't quite been developed or mature and understanding how to fight. You want to blame it on me when it was your rebellion that made us launch the attack sooner. You got us out of step. And to save you, now I'm moving. This can't keep happening before I tell you to leave my church. Because you keep pulling focus. Everybody got their eye on you. Why they got their eye on you? Why they looking at you? That's why pastors just silence members. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Sit in the back. Don't draw no attention to yourself. Because you're pulling focus. Give me these old weird looking faces. Huffing and puffing. Crying at the end. Everybody looking at you, what you got going on. Stop pulling focus. Now we're launching and attacking a place we ain't got no business being right now. They're looking at me. My job has to be to protect even the army with their foolish selves. So now we go get you. Now we got to rush up, hush our, rush our attack. All right, everybody, just go. Just go, 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 go. Don't leave them out there by themselves. And everybody has to learn a lesson, the same lesson you had to learn, but at times what may not have been just a day before God intended for them to learn that lesson. A month or a week, because you don't understand military. You don't understand team sport. Hello? I'm preaching better y'all acting today. This is how the kingdom works. If you doubt it, go ask him. Ask him. Ask him for yourself. he tell you. In the bedroom. You in the bedroom. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't intend to be in the bedroom, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad the, Lord, the word of the Lord has found you. <laughs> you in the living room, Pastor. You in the bedroom. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Did not mean to be over here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. (laughs) So let's go back to Hebrews. So Hebrews 11, verse 32, and verse 31, Rahab did not perish because she believed. We just covered that. And verse 32, it says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, 
and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Stop right there. As far as we're going to go today, I'm going to explain some of these people, though. <laughs> but time would fail Paul in this letter, right? But it will not fail me. I have time <laughs> to speak of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Amen. <laughs> Fret not, Paul. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'll take it from here, Paul. Thanks so much. <laughs> Gideon. This is, this gets, <laughs> every once in a while I have a message and mid-message I realize I'm going to teach you a maneuver as an army that takes skill. So you have to break it down in your head like, okay, you know how you did this? Well, we're going to like do this, then this, and then follow up with a kick. And if I do it real fast, he'll be like, could you, could you slow that down? Okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> and I'm like, what's the best way to show this? Uh, this is one of the concepts about God that can be complex. I have woven it into most of what we discussed to this point, from the top end of correction, the top end of service, to the beginning of the message, and now I'm going to show it to you biblically in a slowed down form. Does that make sense? The whole top end of service, I said, what's up? Okay? Now I'm going to break it down. Amen? Okay. All right. Just so you know. Let's first look at Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Go to Judges chapter 7. As you go to there, it's verse 2 and 3. But you can uh, start at verse 1 if you want to read it in context. It's up to you. Um, but I'm going to look at uh, 2 and 3. A true believer is desirous. I'm not reading the scripture. I'm just giving you some more notes here. A true believer, according to Matthew Henry, a true believer is desirous not only to be in covenant with God, but in communion with the people of God and is willing to fare as they fare. By her works, Rahab declared herself to be just, that she was not justified, uh, that she was not justified, but her works appears plainly because she was a harlot. All right. Because the work she did was faulty in the manner and not perfectly good, therefore it could not be answerable to the perfect justice or righteousness of God. Is that, let me break that down. Okay, what Matthew Henry is saying, is he's saying is that Rahab, when she chose to um, save the spies, she had, she had offered no caveat for that, so that you won't kill me. Because she doesn't know when they storm who is going to come to her house. Does that make sense? But she'd rather side with God and fare as she fares. She'd rather choose to be in communion with the people of God. And that's she said, y'all God is mighty. He's doing some amazing things. I would rather be in communion with you than to stay alive temporarily in my existing kingdom. Hello? Just just to be in communion with the people of God. Rahab was just trying to be in communion with the people of God. There was no promise of her salvation. She just wanted to be in communion with God's people. At that moment, so when God's people came in, she was like, you know what? This is amazing. 
I can't believe that you guys chose my house out of all the harlots' houses you could have went to. You chose my house. Let me get you some food. Let, let me save you. Here, go up to the roof. Uh, uh, I'll try to throw them off. She could have died by the soldiers of her own kingdom at that point. But to her, it mattered more to be in communion with God's people. This is the part they don't, modern Christianity don't want to tell you. What a privilege and an honor it is to be in communion with the people of God. A lot of your blessings that you don't even recognize come is because you just so happen to be in communion with the people of God. What you don't recognize is you got favor because you know me sometimes. Pastor, I got a promotion. Yes, I'm sure you got a promotion because we need money. And since you give, he'll promote you. But it ain't got nothing to do with your work ethic, your heart that you had at your job. You wanted to quit just the other day, Danielle. Had nothing to do with that. God just know we needed money. So can you imagine how he feels when you don't increase your giving? But rather increase your expenses. When different men of God, like Brother Stefan, come to me, they say, Pastor, I'm doing this for the kingdom. I'm doing that for the kingdom. It's, but it makes me, it, it does something in my heart, in my life. And he walks through his budget. He allocates more to the house of God than he did when he made more. You can't tell me ain't nothing but good things going to come from this decision. And as a pastor, I'm only, all I'm going to be doing is praying in abundance that more blessings and miracles come your way. Lord, every time it good, Lord, bless Stephon, bless him, 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 bless him. All he has to do is stay in line. That's it. That's all you got to do is stay in line. That's it. That's your whole shebang. Because God is not going to allow you to fail. Because the house of God is resting on your success. Unless you choose to no longer be a pillar in the house of God. Does that make sense? Some of your favor comes because of that. Mm -hmm. And when y'all start using your blessings financially to serve yourself, it seems like that brook start drying up a little bit. Like your expenses start getting, and the debt start increasing, and the loans start people, and what happened to my, what's happening to my money? Yep, you started using some of that, more focused about you. And that's why, that's not why he was giving it to you. But you know, you got your degrees and all. Is this to say that you shouldn't use your money to bless yourself? Absolutely not. Do it. But you better make sure what God wants is what you gave him. Hello, somebody. You better make sure what God wants is what you gave him. This ain't a cult. You can bless yourself with your own money. You work hard for that. Hello? But if I see you skimping on God in order to bless yourself, what's up? What's up with that? You know all I got to do is pull tie records. Hello? Well, I ain't put my name on it. I wonder why. <laughs> now, so you won't put your name on it. Now, some of you want to be humble. Oh, 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 now you want to be humble. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. If you're a member of this house, put your, put your name on it. It's a testament to you building the work of God. You only want to, don't want to be known because you don't want to be held accountable. Hello? Yeah, it needs to be a testament. Now I can pull all records. Them back there, these up here, all of them I can see. Ain't not one I can't see. Hello? Amen. Amen. And nobody never drops some no large anonymous check. <laughs> Here go, $3,000 anonymous. So I assure you, you're not putting your name on it. It's not that much anyway. 
<laughs> like, oh, it's just humble. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I've never seen that. The finance team can attest. We've never seen $2,000 unaccounted for from one person <laughs> stuffed in an envelope <laughs> with no name. <laughs> I did that once in children's church. Gave my whole $100 with no name. They still knew it was me. <laughs> I wonder how they knew. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, so in Hebrews 32, uh, uh, he says, he was, it, was, it was time would fail me if I had to tell of Gideon. All right? So Gideon's story is mentioned in Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let them turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Stop right there. God is calling for an army to fight against the Midianites, okay? Now, the Mid <laughs> this is complex. Just know you got to stay awake in order for the end to make sense. Does that make sense? Okay. Because I'm going to run it the way it reads, and then I'm going to go back and show you what you didn't see. But it only works if you got the pieces from when I ran it forward. Okay? Okay. All right. So God was calling for an army to fight against the Midianites. Gideon was chosen to fight for God's army against the Midianites. Right? And more specifically, let's, if we go to, are you in Judges? Judges 7, right? More specifically, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it was the angel of the Lord himself. Y'all don't want to play fair with me today. The last time we saw the angel of the Lord, the commander of God's army was with Joshua. Now the commander of God's army comes back up to Gideon and says, I want you to fight against the Midianites. We ain't seen the angel of the Lord since then. Okay? There's a reason why, but we'll get to that in a second. Now we see the angel of the Lord come and call Gideon. I need you to join me to fight in the Lord's army. You and all your Gideonites, everybody is with you. I want you to lead all of Israel to fight with me. Yes? This is perplexing to Gideon because he comes from a small tribe, the smallest of tribes, doesn't have much influence, but he says, nevertheless, I'll blow the trumpet. And he starts blowing the trumpet to all the tribes of Israel trying to get people to fight with him. Some of the tribes agree, and some of them don't. The tribes that agree to fight with Gideon, the angel of the Lord says, you got too many. At this point, you got over 32,000. That's too many. Now he's thinking, this ain't enough. <laughs> we need more. Because at this point, the Midianites have caused the children of Israel to hide in caves. They've they stolen their food. They can't seem to make it. And so when God first approaches Gideon, he's like, the Lord be with you. He's like, if the Lord was with us, then why are we living like this? And God says, that strength is what I want to use. That idea right there that somehow God is greater than where you're currently living, I want to use that. 
Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. The fact that you have a vision about God that is greater than yourself, that somehow what you know about God does not line up with what you currently see, that is exactly what I want to use. I want to use that. It's, it's, it's important. So he said, let's go in that strength. That strength of yours that you have, let's use that. That's what I need right now. I need people to see that. This, this don't line up. If God is great, as great as he is, then we shouldn't be living like that. Exactly. Let's go. Exactly. Let's go. Right? Powerful stuff. Right? The next story is the story of Barak. Judges chapter 4. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into, yeah, Sisera into the hand of the woman, of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, to Kadesh. Stop right there. At this point, here's the story of Barak. Barak was a military man himself. Deborah was a judge at this point, all right? And she was judging all of Israel. And she called to Barak and said, Barak, has the Lord not told you to go and take an army and fight against uh, the Canaanites? And he says, yeah, I'll do it. And that says, yeah, he's been dealing with me about this. But I'm not going to go unless you as the judge goes with me. Then later she says, okay, but you're not going to have any glory in this because you could have just went without me. Making a delineation between judge and commander of the military army. But now you need me to go with you. Now she, had a, she was a commander herself. She had a lot of troops with her. So he knew he needed her troops as well. So now the judge and the commander are together in one office, working together. The judge and the commander of military, all right, is Barack, okay? So now they're working together to move this army against the Canaanites. At the end, the judge and prophet, which is Deborah, says to him, God is still going to give the glory of this war to the hand of a woman. She's not talking about herself. She's talking about another woman, another prostitute, or not really a prostitute, but she invites um, the king of Sisera into her home and kills him herself before Barak could, could get him, right? Yeah, so, so she kills him. So the, the, the death, the, the glory of this war was given to a woman. Most people read that and think it was supposed to be Deborah, but it wasn't. It was another woman. Nevertheless, what we see here is that uh, a commander-in-chief of the military army was asked for. Yeah? And uh, he was like, I'm not fighting without the judge. Uh, God did tell me. But my answer has been no. All right? So, so I'm not right in that milk. Okay? So I'm not right. Little fly in there somewhere. All right. But nevertheless, Deborah goes with them. They have a mighty victory. Do you see that? All right. Cool. Let's go to Samson. Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at the time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. That one verse gives you the whole story, okay? Samson was a, a child born in the household of, of Israel. And it was prophesied that he would do great things. 
And um, he was very strong and had supernatural strength and power. But he wanted to marry a Philistine woman. Again, that shouldn't happen, shouldn't be done. But God knew that this was put in his heart for an occasion to make war against the Philistines, to free Israel from Philistine, from the Philistines. Yeah? Because they would then try to use Samson's Philistine woman to break the back of Israel. All right? So this would be war. Okay? Um, so that's the whole story of Samson. And you know how it ends. He has an issue with women. Then he marries another woman named Delilah, right? And then Delilah is used to weaken Samson even more. And so then a real war against the wars against Philistines were consistent with Samson. And then one final war where he slew most of all of the Philistines um, happened at the end of his life where he offered himself up for one last victory. Do you remember that story? All right, cool. Now let's go to Jephthah. Jephthah. Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. Are you there? Say amen. Judges chapter 11, verse 30, 30 and 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely uh, be the Lord's and I will offer up it and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So here we have another story of a commander of the military army being used in the house of Israel to free them from the Ammonites, right? So far we've covered being free from the Sidonians, the Midianites, the Amorites, and now the, and the Philistines and now the Amorites, right? So now Jephthah was called upon by the children of Israel to fight. Now the story of Jephthah is he was the son of a harlot, a prostitute. His dad had him by a prostitute, then married, had some more kids. His sons didn't like the fact that Jephthah could be counted as their inheritance since he was an illegitimate son, waged, gave him a hard time and kicked him out. So Jephthah fled and became a mighty commander of our band of misfits. All right. When Israel got tired of getting beat down by the Ammonites, the elders of Israel went to Jephthah and was like, look, you do your thing, okay? You, we, you, was, you, was, you was raiding everybody. Everybody is afraid of you. You have what we need. Can you come back and fight for us? And Jephthah was like, uh, excuse you? Didn't y'all kick me out? Didn't y'all let my dad's sons kick me out because I was an illegitimate son? Now you want me to come fight for you? They were like, exactly. <laughs> no shame in our game. This is exactly true. We did kick you out uh, because you were illegitimate, and now we need you to come back and fight for us. And he was like, okay, well, I'll fight for you. And he said, but they, they told him, we'll make you head over everything. He was like, you'll make me head. We'll make you head. You'll be the top dog in command, commander-in-chief, and we'll, we'll, we'll obey what you say to do, right? So he does, and he wins, okay? But before he wins, he makes a vow to God that whoever comes out of his house, he will offer up to the Lord if the Lord lets him win this victory. Come to find out it was his daughter that came out after he won the victory, it was his daughter that came out to greet him and he offered up his daughter as a sacrifice. Again, something not quite right about this. So again, some, some, some fly in the milk here. Is anybody with me on that? That's something, something. I mean, you, I mean, you, you, you fought it, but did you, did you fight it well? I mean, I mean, you, you won for the Lord, but didn't. 
Is that how he intended for it to go? Did you kill, you sacrifice your daughter? I mean, he didn't even sacrifice Isaac, okay? But you done offered up the daughter? Seriously? Really? I don't know about this. Again, these methods a little suspect. Are you with me? All right. Let's look at David. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. How y'all enjoying this puzzle piece? Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out how it's all coming together, ain't you? What do these things have in common? I know. I, I, did, I did the same thing for like a month. All right. First Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, this is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. All right. This is David being anointed king. David's kingly anointing happened after Saul was rejected. Saul was the first king, am I right, of the children of Israel. Yes. But God rejected Saul because he tried to occupy king and priest and commander. So he tried to make himself a Melchizedekian king, priest. He wanted to be priest because he offered a sacrifice that God did not tell him to offer and went into the house of, uh, to the altar of God. He was already commander of the military army, right? And now he was going to be, and he's king. So you're trying to do the whole Melchizedekian thing, and God did not give you that. That's one of the reasons why he was judged so harshly. Does that make sense? Because you assume the last thing that God kept from you, which was the priesthood. You can't be the priest. Samuel's the priest and the prophet. You can't be that. Hello, somebody. But Saul wanted that reign as well. And God knew that about his heart. It wasn't just that you were afraid that the people wouldn't follow you. You were after being deemed the priest of having all rulership under your belt. So you're moving into a, a different position. And, and you want to say it's because the people wouldn't follow you. Mm, it's something else running under here because God is a just God. Because God is a just God. When you recognize and you interpret scripture from the idea that God is just rather than why him? Why would God do that to him? It seemed like a reasonable reason. See, when you interpret scripture from your seat, you don't get the truth. When you interpret scripture from the one who actually presented it to you, then you get truth. Hello? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, so let's go to Samuel. Speaking of Samuel, Samuel chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Are you there? Now the man Elkanah and his wife and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then will I take him. They may be appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Right? So this was Hannah. Samuel was, as we discussed with the story of David, Samuel was a prophet who was appointed by God, given as to a woman that was originally barren named Hannah. Hannah was a first ba a barren, prayed, went to the temples, offered sacrifices, prayed and asked God to give her a son. When Hannah got the son, she named him Samuel. And then after he was weaned, that means comes off of breast milk, she then goes back and gives Samuel to the priest and lets Samuel be raised in the priesthood. A beautiful story. This is the life of Samuel, how it started. All right. Do you guys notice something here? Let's look at Samuel and David because that's the most obvious. Who came first, David or Samuel? 
Who was listed in Hebrews first? Who came first, Samson or Jephthah? Jephthah. Who was listed in Hebrews first? Samson. Who came first, Barak or Gideon? Barak. It's a pattern. Who was listed in Hebrews first? Gideon. Go back to Hebrews so you can use it as your cheat sheet. <laughs> Hebrews 11 and 32. Hebrews 11 and 32, it says, and time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak. Gideon is listed first, but Gideon could not be if there was no Barak. Hello, somebody. And of Samson and Jephthah, and Jephthah came, Samson could not exist if there was no Jephthah. Y'all don't want to play fair today. And of Samuel, of David and Samuel, and David could not exist if there was no Samuel. Okay, something here, something in all of this, okay? Let's break this down a little bit more, shall we? What is interesting, let's go back up to Barak. Now let's start at Barak versus Gideon. So we know the story of Barak was in Judges 4, am I right? Let me find my Judges 4. Judges, am I in, I'm in already, okay, Judges 4. What you have to recognize about the story of Barak is Barak was called by the people of God as a need as they cried out. But in order to really further understand how the judge, Deborah, came into play is you have to go to Judges chapter 1. When the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, right, and they listened to Joshua, and all the days of Joshua, the children of Israel did what Joshua said. Joshua was pretty much running things like Moses did. When Joshua died, the children of, and all those that were with him that knew of the wars, like all those that were warring and taking land and taking territories with Joshua, they knew and they followed God. But when Joshua died and all those mighty people that knew about war died, this new generation this new generation, this new generation don't understand war. <laughs> this new generation didn't have to live through war. Y'all don't understand. They, they, didn't, they really weren't trained to believe that they were in the army of the Lord. They, this new generation just felt like they were just here to exist and enjoy the promised land and live their best life and sit on top of the hill and get bigger, better, and best. The new generation did not really recognize that they were supposed to represent the army of the Lord. A whole modern church, thank you for standing because y'all knew where I was going. A whole modern church does not recognize that you're still supposed to be in the army of the Lord. You think Christianity is for you rather than you for Christianity. The church is for you rather than you for the church. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. You talk how we serve you and think that everything is about you. No, you, we serve you so that you could be ready to serve it, the body of Christ. We serve you for a season so that you could be ready to serve it, the body of Christ. Amen. Ain't always going to be about you. And a lot of modern Christians don't understand warfare. Why did the church, the black church, do so well back in the day? Because they were under persecution. And the black church served the oppressed. 
But now that you, with your degrees and all, you don't feel that oppressed. And so now the purpose of church, you don't understand. So you can leave it because it serves you no purpose. Y'all don't want to play fair today. It serves no purpose in your life so you can leave church. But when you had purpose, when you were the oppressed, it served purpose. Now black people are leaving church because it doesn't really serve a purpose. And they forgot that they were called to serve the purpose of the body of Christ. I don't got to go to the four walls of the church. I can watch it online. Why? Because the church serves you. I ain't got to be present for the, re- for the rebuilding. I ain't got to be present in, order in the house of the building. I ain't got to be present to sweep the floors. I ain't got to be present to serve the community. Why? Because the, commu- the church serves me. I ain't got to be present to serve the people of God. Because the church serves me. That's the whole concept. Because this new generation forgot. They did not know that they were called to be in the army of God. You no wonder why people are leaving church and ain't coming back. Because nobody taught them you're supposed to be in the army of the Lord. The, the saints of old in the African-American churches knew. I'm called to be the army of the Lord. They had number songs about the army of the Lord. And go, go tell it on the mountain. And, and all of them. And we're going to fight. And it's a war. And, and, and they're in the Lord's army on the Lord's day. And, and that, that's what they knew. Hello? Take up the banner. Under the banner of cross. And I mean, I mean, come on now. Now we were looking at the songs like, what did God do anything? I'm living my best life. I'm living my best life. Why does this keep happening to me? Bigger, best, better. Bigger, best, better. Everything that I want, it's coming to me. My dreams, my passions, my, my loves in life, it's coming to me. This is what we know. And pastors are, what are we going to do to get them back? Well, I guess we just keep doing more of the same. It's coming to you. It's blessings. It's coming to you. Blessings is coming to your house. And bigger and better is coming to your house because this is all you want to hear. But I will not be that pastor. I, you could cry all night. I could say, I cried all night. You could say, I got pain in my body. I could say, I got pain in my body. You could say, but I'm single. I could say, and I'm single. You could say, but I ain't got no kids. I could say, and I ain't got no kids either. Whatever you say is your downfall. I say, I've been there and done that. And the church of God marches on. 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 The people of Israel crossed over to Jordan, and they fought in the days of Joshua. They fought valiantly. They started taking up enough territory. They didn't take it all, but they took enough. Where, you know, they start dropping people off, and you inherit this land and live there, and y'all live over there. We'll call you when we're ready to fight a new fight. Y'all just keep your armies and military ready. Stay sharp. Be ready for the call. And that's what everybody had to do, you know. Be, be in your land. Reap the promises, but be ready. Be ready when we call you. Hello? That was the whole point. Go to your land. That's your land. That's your tribe. That's where we put you. But make sure y'all stay ready. Be ready so I can get ready. Be ready. But that's not what happened. When he started dividing the tribes, Joshua chapter 1, 
They got over there and it says, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shanan. Hello, somebody. Nor did Ephraim, I'm going to skip on, drive out the Canaanites. Nor did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Acho. Nor did Naphtali drive out, hello, somebody, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Nor did the Amorites force the children of Israel. Nor did, nor did, nor did somebody else, when they got in their land, did not fully cleanse and drive out their land. Hello? So when the church of God, this local body, drives out anybody that does not lie, come on somebody, if you tell me that you're going to do whatever you want to do, then I got to drive you out of this land because I cannot afford to miss what God is doing in the body of Christ. Baby, you got to go. I love you, but you can't stay here. I love you, but we can't have no parts. I love you. I'll talk to you. They'll talk to you, but you cannot be included in the household of faith. Because the apostles decided what is in the church of God and what isn't. Not me. I'm taking what's passed down to me. Homosexuality cannot be counted. Fornication can't be counted. Extortion can't be counted. So if you're telling me you're going to do whatever you want and stay in this house, you're going to have to go. And I drive you out. This is the part people don't recognize. Well, you just kind of forced me out. I mean, you, I said this, but then you said that. Yes. Yes, and I will do it again. Because this is not the children of Israel. This is the day where the generations of God maintain. <laughs> this is a new day where the generation of the church maintains from age to age, from generation. It's a forever priesthood, baby. It's a forever priesthood. Can't go back to what you accept, what you like and prefer. Your preferences are of no avail to me. Pastor, you don't even have no compassion. Don't we see we're suffering? I do. And I say, join me in my suffering. You ain't the only one suffering. You ain't the only one in pain. You ain't the only one grieving. You ain't the only one lonely. You ain't the only one with fleshly desires. You ain't the only one that needs somebody. You ain't the only, you ain't the only one. But you are the only one that is tending to self. And for that reason, you can't stay here. You are the only one that just cares more about you. For that reason, you can't stay here. Hello, somebody. Sit on down, sit on down. So they refused to drive out these inhabitants. And thus, they began to marry. Hello? They began to marry within some of these places. They began to worship some of the gods of these people that they never drove out. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair. So God starts to reveal that when you don't drive out what should not be among you in the first place, then it starts changing. And you don't change them. They will change you. And you think, I am not a fool. I don't care how bad you hurt. I believe God and what he shows me and his plan and processes. I want to think that I could change you. Pastor, you should let people come back to the church because they need the word. They can get that word on podcast. They can get that word when I call them every week, every other day. I could talk to them. I speak. They can get that word. What Satan is trying to do is get me to let you be in. You can't be in. You can't be in until you truly decide for yourself who you fight with no matter the cost. Not because I said so. Sister Glenda, can I use your example further? When Sister Glenda took her leave, temporaries, because I forced her to. 
she had a concept of how she could live in this house. And I said, that is not true. It is not love the way God defines it. She said, well, by principle, Pastor, I have to go. I said, well, bye. She wanted to come back a week sooner. I said, no. One thing you're going to recognize is you can't leave God and his people any kind of way you want and expect to come back anytime you want. You have to meet the same prerequisites and qualifications that we were asking for you when you were present. So I said, take some more time. Because right now it's me talking to you. I'm afraid you're deciding this under my anointing. Let me know when you choose this for yourself. When you really see truth for yourself, then you can come back. And when she did, she came back. All right, right, I think you got it. Come on. But the depths of her that was still missing pieces, the Lord dealt with her. Because it wasn't full when she first came back. But it was enough for her to submit and to recognize that submission was key. Her submission, then God began to minister for weeks now about whatever residue was still left, about trusting God, heeding God's will, understanding how his processes work. But Satan will convince you as a leader that you have to accept them for them to be saved. When the Bible clearly indicates you drive them out and those that really long will always look for truth and integrity. You can go to every other church, but it's that church that had a standard that you'd be like, something about that church right there. You can call it church hurt if you want, but you know that church had a standard. And no matter what you did, mother such and such and pastor such and such wouldn't let you get around that standard. And now that you own, you realize that was right. It was right. It was right. But we ain't got time as the body of Christ to wait for you to come to your senses about what's right. The scripture says you turn those over to Satan, that the flesh might be destroyed and their soul could be saved. Soul, the part of you that makes all of these emotional decisions, might be saved. Because all it is are the emotional decisions. You're mad you can't have your way. Hello? I said, one thing the death of my mother has taught me is there's some things you could want desperately, need it passionately, and the answer is still no. You don't really know what you're made of in God until he tells you no, and you still serve the same. Then you start realizing what work he really did do. You you really did do a work in me. You You really did. You really did a work in me. You did a work. It's a work. You telling me no, and it's going to be no. It ain't gonna be on. It ain't gonna be a yes on this side of heaven. It ain't ever gonna be. It ain't ever gonna be a yes on this side of heaven. And the Lord tries to tell you guys some things about some things in your life that's a no. But if He tells you you have such a, a hissy fit, such a pity party, hello somebody that you just destroy your whole life at the very thought that He would ever tell you no or ever deny that in you. That's why it's a vice. That's why that is the thing that keeps separating you from the will of God because he knows you put that above him. You put that above him. If I would have stopped serving God because he wouldn't give me my mother back, then I would have put my mother above him. You can see how that works. 
I said, I ain't never. And when she was living, I ain't put her above you. I certainly ain't going to put her above you now that you tell me I can't have her. <laughs> me and my aunt, mom came to odds about this church and me doing the will of God. So it never, it never, she never came above what God told me. That's a hard thing when she came above everybody. <laughs> but that's how it had to be established for days like today. Could you imagine if I would have missed that one small thing? Could you imagine if I didn't catch what he was trying to show me on the small thing? You would not be here. There would be no renew if 2019, when that church split, I would have backed up. Because the seed in me that will want my mother's approval over God's would have never been destroyed. Hello? And it had to be. It had to be. Because no one knew that this day would come where she can't even be an idol in my imagination today. That's why those small warnings count. That's why those small things that you think, it shouldn't take all this, and I, it's, it's not that important. Why am I hurting? It's because they, they do count. Hello, somebody. Yeah. They do count. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. So the children of Israel did not drive out. We got to go. It's time to go. It's time to leave. Ooh, it's really time to go. All right. Not as bad as last week, but we definitely are over our time by 15 minutes. Okay. The children of Israel <laughs> definitely did not drive them out. And so then God says to them, <laughs> then the angel of the Lord comes to Gilgal. And this is when he starts calling to Joshua. And then from Joshua, he starts calling to Barak. So the angel of the Lord shows back up in Judges chapter 2. As I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the land of your fathers, I will never break my covenant, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called on the name of that place, Bachim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Verse 7, uh, it says, then when Joshua died, it says, then the people, verses, uh, go down to verse 10. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. So in Israel's unfaithfulness, this is one of the things that Josh, God revealed to Joshua. That these people ain't even, when you set them in their, in, their, in their promised land, they didn't even drive out everything. I made them so strong that they can drive out every enemy in front of them, but they chose the enemy over me. They chose to keep the enemy present. And they had every, they were set free. This is the thing. When Christ came, you were set free of sin. So you have the power to deliver yourself from every enemy, but you're choosing to keep the enemy within your borders. And because of that, they end up overtaking you. Nevertheless, verse 16 of chapter 2 says, Nevertheless, the Lord raises up judges. Let me, let me back up a little bit. And the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was, was hot against Israel. So the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever they went out, 
the land of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. You want to know when God's mad at you? When his anger is hot? Is when you can't defeat your enemies. That's, Pastor, I feel, I feel like I can, I can make it under your anointing. But if, if I, when I leave you, I'm back, I'm back under the enemy. This didn't mean God mad at you. God's anger was hot against Israel. So they could not drive out their enemy. The same enemy that they drove out under Joshua with great ease. Just, we're taking this land, yeah. And now they got so accustomed to letting that enemy stay that now the enemy overtakes them. And when it overtakes them, now this is where they really cry out, we want to win. And every time they go out to fight against the enemy that they really want to be from under their hand, they lose. All this time you thought God was stupid. He'll let you play with his demonic forces, play with Satan, entertain certain things that you shouldn't be entertaining, keep certain thoughts, your own opinions and perspectives of things. And you can keep all of that right there in your heart with him. And you think he's stupid. And so now when he keeps telling you, you need to let that go. Hey, you need to let that go. Hey, you need to stop doing that. Hey, you need to stop thinking that way. Hey, 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 hey. And you just keep saying, it's okay. I mean, I'm only human. It's okay. God knows my heart. It's okay. Uh-huh. You're not even aggressive about it. You should have been aggressive. I said, the, the funny thing about some of my saints that fall into sin is that you are not aggressive about the kingdom of God in the same way that Satan is aggressive about destroying you. A believer should go, who is this enemy in God's camp? What is this foul thought in my mind? Where did this thing come from in me? This doesn't lie. And you should be aggressive about purging that thing out of me. Why am I feeling so cast down? Why do I feel discouraged? I will encourage myself in the Lord. You're not aggressive enough about the enemy that you let stay. You built that. You gossiped on the side about how pastor is. You entertain thoughts. And now you left it there so long and it's overtaking you. To the point, you know you're not even doing right. You see I'm not doing right. I'm not even acting the way I'm supposed to act. I'm not even being a real believer the way I'm supposed to be a believer. And now you want to be free. You're like, okay, God, I'll be, I'm going to be free. I'm going to fight against the enemy. And you lose. And you fight again. Okay, all right, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to free myself of this sin. And you lose. I'm going to free myself of this sin. I'm going to free myself of this enemy. And you lose. I'm going to free myself and you lose. I'm going to deliver myself and you lose. Anger, the anger of the Lord is hot against you. You know when Israel starts to win? Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up what? Judges. They didn't start winning until the Lord felt so bad for them losing all the time. That he decided to raise up a military commander? No. A priest? No. What does he raise up? A judge. Somebody to say that should not be there. And that has got to go. And that is not what you do. And that is not how you move. A judge. When the people of Israel submit to the judge, then they see victory. See how I told you? There's certain aspects about how God moves you don't even know. 
your pride gets you in the way. But it's right here. It's right here. You maintain certain heart conditions and thoughts that I know as your pastor, the Holy Spirit, tried to challenge you to get rid of years before now. Years before now. Then the things started overtaking you. Then we start recognizing it was pushing you down paths of sin that you, you, knew you, you, didn't, you didn't want to be in. You only had one choice, submit to the judge or be overtaken. Your way out was judgment. They didn't win of their own passion. They didn't win on their, on their own commitment and fortitude to the concept. They didn't win on their own motivation. We're going to get this enemy. We're going to defeat the Midianites now. Every time they lost. They only won because God raised up a judge. It won't be your way. It will be his way. It won't be your way. It will be his way. These small lessons are supposed to train you to look for his way and not yours. To look for his way. Hello? Mm-hmm. So the children of Israel, they was, they, was, they was groaning and complaining until God raised up a judge. Yes? When he started raising up judges, they started seeing victory. They started conquering their enemies. And then he raised up a judge when they were complaining about how one more enemy that they let stay began to overtake them again. And so then God raised up Othniel. And then they had peace for a while. And then after Othniel died, they started going whatever they, way, what they wanted to go again. And then the same enemies that they never drove out started corrupting them again and overtaking them again. And God's anger rose up again. So then God decided to, after they cried out about how these people are overtaking us and putting us back in bondage again, then God raised up another judge named Uhud. All right. And it, the situation just kept going. You are a victim of what you let stay in your promised land. And God's anger is allowing it. And your deliverance is not a condition of your heart in terms of when you want to be free. Now it's when God says. Using Sister Glenda's example, she said, I'm ready. I said, no, you're not. The fact that she didn't let that get her bent out of shape. Now that I say I'm ready, now you're telling me I can't. Uh, she's like, okay, well, maybe I can keep praying and seeking God for some more. That was submission. That was understanding to the will of God. I got no clearance in me. I was more concerned about her. God used that to test her submission. The first rule of every disciple is you can't go out when you want to go out, and you can't come back in when you're ready to come back in. That's discipleship number one. God tells you your goings and your comings, the winds and, and hows. Hello? So he was breeding, breeding submission in her and making sure I wasn't trying to rule over her too heavy that I respected the truth and the spirit of God in her for answers. She's got to see this on her own. I can assist you and give you the word, and after that, you need to meditate on that and see what you get. See how God deals with you. I train you. I don't do it for you. I train you. And once I show you the move, waka! And you be like, waka! <laughs> I have to give you the time to try it. Yes? 
I be trying new stuff. I got this new one, Pastor. What about this one? What about this? I didn't ask you to come up with no routines, okay? <laughs> what about this one? I got this one. This, this one will work. I think this one. Just, just learn the ones I gave you, okay? <laughs> learn the ones I gave you. This is what he gave us, all right? This one we're going to learn. All right, moving on. So it's Barack, right? Then Barack comes up because here, here comes the judge of Deborah. So now we see Barack. Immediately after Barack, who do we get? Gideon comes up immediately after Barack. Gideon has a wonderful testimony about how he was picked, handpicked by God himself, right? Angel of the Lord came to Gideon himself, handpicked. Barak, not so much. The judge picked him. God told him he didn't really come. Then, then the judge went and got him, and he was like, all right, as long as you go with me. It was, the whole thing was a little iffy. We see the same situation in Jeph- Jephthah. Jephthah's situation which came before Samson. Jephthah came right before Samson. Y'all don't go, 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 you see it. He judges 11, it's Jephthah. Right before Jephthah is Samson. Jephthah's picking was a little muddled, okay? The, Israel, the elders went to, to Jephthah, was like, come fight for us. Hello, somebody. Samson, that was God given. God, God birthed that baby from a barren woman. God, and she gave it over to the to the priest. That was that was hand. That was I'm mean, not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Samson. Um, uh, his 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 parents knew that he was called with great strength, right? And so you knew, you just knew. And then Samson was called by God with the supernatural strength, and he had the wife that was a Philistine. And even that, it was definitely God. God said, "That's me. That's me all day." But Jephthah came before Samson. What I see here is a pattern of when the people of God are so desperate for the will of God, they start moving in alignment with what God wants, even if it's muddled. Even if it's humanity mixed in with divinity, even if it's a lot of human and a little bit of God, it's it's something about the desire you have on the inside that is true. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair. Like you really do think that God is bigger than this and and you really do believe that God wants to use you and you really do see how God wants to turn this situation. But how you're going about it, that is a little questionable because the way you go about it is more you than God. But what God does next is show you how he does the same thing when it's 100% him first he shows you what's in your heart and the extent that you will go yes how what's in your heart is also his heart but not the way when he decides to do it it's done so divinely like a Gideon so divinely like a Samson, so divinely like a David. (sighs) Let's look at Samuel for a second. Samson was a prophet, sort of, (laughs) a military commander, definitely. Right? An interesting life. Samson ends the stories in Judges as one of the judges in, in the children of Israel's history. And for a period of time, the judges kind of stop. 
and its priests. After Samson, you don't hear much talk of judges. As God begins to transition from judges ruling the children of Israel to now prophets and priests. Hello, somebody. So then the priests start having the hand, primarily because the judges were needed to judge and to be the commanders of a military army. Now, I'm, in terms of this conquering land thing, I'm pretty much just using that. And, and God says that. I'm using some of them to test you. There are five nations that God says, I will always use these to test the children of Israel. That they'll know where their heart is in their allegiance to me. And that I could use them to teach them war. That's what he says in the book of Judges. So once the military campaign cease, because we pretty much know, then he starts using the priests again. They start resurfacing. Now the priests are those scribes, and they read the scripts, and they, and they offer the sacrifices. And now the children of Israel are not warring a lot because they've become so meshed with other nations that you're fighting yourself, in essence, because you brought these people in. You want us to take this other Canaanite, but your wife is Canaanite, and half, half your kids are half Canaanite. So what are we going to do? Like, we're going to kill them too? It's just it's getting too muddled, okay? Now, there's no more campaigning to go take lands for purity's sake of Israel. All right? This thing got too muddled. So now priests come up. Now you're, you could have a, a muddled background, genetically speaking, or genealogy, right? But you adhere to the, to the priesthood under God. So you offer your sacrifices as an Israelite. You're circumcised as an Israelite. Your mama could have been Midianite. Your daddy could, somebody else could have been an Ammonite, but you raised Israelite. That's done under the priests. The priests start ruling and reigning for a while until we get to Eli's sons. And Eli's sons go off the grid. They start sleeping with the women that's coming in. They just, now the priest is just not, they, they off the grid. Samuel shows up at a time, he was born to Hannah, at a time when the priests were running amok. And they couldn't be trusted to lead people to the path of holiness. There's no more campaigning. Wars are no longer being done to test you. Now you as an individual just have to come before God. The priesthood got crazy, all right? They're sleeping with the women, they're stealing, they're taking stuff. People of God are now crying out against the priests. Samuel was born and raised by the priest Eli under that type of problem, right? When Samuel shows up in chapter 8, look at this. By the time Eli dies, Eli dies because the Ark of the Covenant was captured. Never in the history of the children of Israel has the Ark of the Covenant ever left them and went to their enemy's hands. Upon hearing this, the priest falls back in his chair and dies. I mean, that's, he, I just, we have really gone too far that the presence of God can be taken by our enemy. It was not the presence, but what the Ark represented. Like, it represented that. The church has gone too far when, when the church as a physical entity represents the presence of God is then taken by the enemy. Remember I said, you don't have to come to church, but these doors will be open during COVID because the enemy ain't taking this. It's not going to happen. God going to have to call me off in chains. Hello, somebody. But no, 
No, because the church of God has to remain. He fell back in his chair and died. Samuel grew up and he became the priest and he ruled. And while he was ruling, the children of Israel had moderate peace and success as they began to cleanse themselves and purge themselves of idols and false gods and get more back in line with what, there's always a thing with them. Get more back in line with what God wants. Get more back in line with what God wants. That's not supposed to be the testament of the church. It's not. So they get more back in line, right? And then they say, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 8, 1 Samuel, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Stop right there. Now, it is true that the only reason the children of Israel are saying to give us a judge because your sons don't fall in your way is because they saw Eli's sons. Eli judged well, but his sons were corrupt. And as Eli got older, his sons were, began to be corrupt. And they were like, don't, we don't want to be in the hands of them. Thank God for Samuel. But now Samuel is following in the ways of God, but his sons are not following after him. Don't leave, Samuel, you're getting old. Don't leave us with them. Can you pick for us a king? They're responding to God because of their past. I'll wait. They are responding to God because of their past, their past experiences of failed leadership. Oh, y'all don't want to play fast. Where's my army? I told you some things about being in the army of the Lord you don't recognize. Because we were subjected to a failed priesthood, as Minister Monifa said, right? We don't want to be under that again. But what you don't recognize is that the priests, the sons of the priests that are failing is a reflection of you. Uh, you trying to act like they are so bad and they're treating us poorly. Hello, somebody. What you fail to recognize is they are the same generation as you. And the only reason you don't like it is not because of what it represents in God. You don't like it because of how it makes you feel. You don't like those priests because how they make you feel, what they do to you. But who they are is a reflection of you because they're called priests from your generation. You don't like what your modern preachers and pastors are doing, but your modern preachers or pastors are reflections of you. The ones you elected, the ones you voted in, the ones that your denomination had to pick, had to, have a, had to have a pastoral selection committee, they're a reflection of you. But this here house, I was not voted in by you. I was not picked by you. I was not established by you. The fact that you're sitting in this church means God appointed me, him himself. Him, the angel of the Lord came to me, sword drawn. Will you fight for the army of the Lord? And I said, if you go with me, I will go. But I don't want to go wherever you don't 
go. You can't vote me out. And I don't care how much you complain against me. I don't think that's what parents are supposed to do. Good thing you don't know. The good thing you weren't on the selection committee. Get yourself a board of directors, now they think they, their job is to tell you what to do. You got your degrees and all. Hello? And I say, I submit to my board of directors to a certain extent. Hello? But I maintain all autonomy. All of it. What's the worst that could happen? The church shut down because of me? Good. It was built on my back. That seemed fair. Hello, somebody. What they were rejecting, God says, they're not rejecting you, Sammy, they're rejecting me. These priestly sons that didn't follow in the way was a reflection of the people of God. And what they were feeling in terms of oppression was a reflection of God judging the people. I'm using them to judge you. You don't like how this feels? Rather than other nations, I can use them. I can use the priests in your own nation like I could use other nations that you let stay in your nation. Come on, somebody. You let that same debauchery stay in your nation? You let that same household stuff stay in your house? You let them same problems stay in your mind? And then when somebody else starts ruling you from those same issues, now you want to complain against God. Oh, no, you don't get no judge. I'm using them. And the church of God is not going to be redeemed, renewed, replenished, restored, unless we get more pastors that are appointed by God and not committees. When God has to do it, there is no quitting. When God has to do it, there's no, oh, Pastor, why don't you take a sabbatical? I had people tell me, Pastor, you should have took a sabbatical those two years. So what, so y'all can send like the devils? You sin under my nose. How much more so if the one person that has spiritual authority decides to take two years off? You at least be honest with yourself. Get behind me, Satan. You're, you're mindful not of the things of God. Pastor, maybe you should just take some. Shh, 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 shh. You're not even mindful. It's hard enough to hear God in the midst of this grief. And rather than you encourage me, you start being used to preserve me. I'm not trying to preserve myself. The whole call was about not preserving myself. That's why I was selected by God's grace and mercy, that I would not put self over what he wanted. And now you want to tell me to prioritize self? Get behind me! What you doing up here anyway? You're not the advisor to the pastor. Fall back. I know, you meant well. So did Peter. You meant well and was grossly wrong. If you understood the call, you understood the things of the kingdom, all you'd be saying is, go past the go. Go past the go. Run, Libra, run. Run, Libra, run. You made this too personal. Why? Why would you make it so personal to me? Why would you tell me to preserve myself? Because secretly, that's what you do. Because if I will look out for me, then that gives you license and license to look out for you as well. 
So I can't, I can't think of God and God's kingdom first because that was set a standard that you have to now think of God and God's kingdom first above all your needs and above all your wants. Two things can be true. To them priests that think of themselves first, they're a reflection of you. And the only way to be free from that is God has to start appointing his own leadership his own way. And then he establishes it. He maintains it. He does the miracles through that woman of God. He does the establishing through that woman of God. He declares and decrees through the woman of God. He shows and proves it through the woman of God. has nothing, and it's all him. And so whatever it is, he will establish it himself. Hello, somebody. Y'all got distracted, so I guess it's time for me to go. Y'all ready to go? All right. They rejected, not you, Samuel. They rejected me because whatever that priest was, was what I wanted them to endure. Whatever those sons were, was what I wanted them to endure. But you didn't want us to endure bad. I did. I did want you to endure bad. I did. I did want you to endure it. Why? Maybe because I'm judging something. Have you ever thought about that? You should, you're too good to endure bad as if all your actions have been good? See, by, re- by trying to preserve yourself, you reject God. He says you accept me when you allow what I rule to remain. He said, just like the sons of Eli did not call a Samuel. Huh? When the sons of Eli were, were corrupt, I called a Samuel, not you. Not you, not you, not you. And now that Samuel's sons are not falling in line, who do you call? You call for Saul. And when you call it your way, it's a little flim flam. When you call it your way, it's a little fly in the milk. When you call, but then I will call a king after my own heart. And this cycle is not broken until the men and women of God start allowing God to call things his way. It's not going to stop. Until you fare has you fare. Slave or free. Black or white. Poor or wealthy. Single or married. Barren or with many children. You fare as you fare. And you see the sovereign God has rule and dominion over all. And you know that he's placed you there purposefully. By faith, this didn't happen to you. You never wandered out here. You were led. By faith, you walked. By faith, you were led. By faith, you overcame. By faith, righteousness was established. By faith. If you call yourself a wanderer, you're outside of the move. Wanderers die in the wilderness. People of faith move with God. People of faith move with God. So you get to pick. You're going to be a wandering Moses' day? Or are you going to be led by Joshua's day and the God of Joshua? In an army, in a military, where there's order, first, him as king, ruler, supreme. Why did you get pregnant that time? Because that's what he said.
Why did you lose the baby? Because that's what he said. Why did God let you have an abortion? Unfortunately, he ruled it and didn't change your heart. It's right. Did he like it? No. Was that what he preferred? No. But he's still ruling. You have been led to this point. You have been led here. You've been led to this season of your life. You've been led to this local body. You've been led to this day, this age, this generation. You've been led here. That's what it means to walk by faith. Everything I've surrendered to the Father, even my heart. As a pastor, one of the hardest things to deal with is that my heart gets involved. One of the first lessons God had to show me is how he uses my heart. That my main job is not to always make sure I have a perfect heart, but to make sure I have a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart. Because a surrendered heart might call for a Saul. But Saul is needed in order to get to Samuel. A surrendered heart might call for a Barak. But a Barak is needed in order to get to the Gideon. A surrendered heart might call for a Jepheth. But a Jepheth heart is needed to get to a Samson. A surrendered my heart might call for a Samuel. But a Samuel is needed to get to a David. The goal is not to have a perfect heart. Christ came for that alone. The goal is to have a surrendered heart. Understanding that what God has placed in your heart, he tends to use. The passion of that day might drive you to victory or it might drive you to demise. Nevertheless, God, I fight for you and for you alone. What I ain't going to do is put myself over you, standing all over the house. I surrender myself to you. 